With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It's been a few weeks since we've done our regular format that you've come to love, but that's because we've been busy planning our upcoming invite-only investor trip to China, where we're taking some diehard tech buzzers to see some of the exact companies we've covered on this show. Speaking of which, we'll be holding a meetup in Beijing and Sanli Tour after dinner on Tuesday, October the 8th, and another meetup in Shanghai also after dinner on Thursday, October the 10th. Check out our Twitter for the exact locations and times. Come and have a beer on us. Anyway, that's the reason why we've been busy and today's episode has been queued up a while. It's actually a story from back in August when Kuaishou, Baidu, Tencent, and Capital Today invested a collective $434 million into the Chinese internet company Zhihu. Unless you're very familiar with Chinese internet, you're probably saying to yourself, Zhihu? Well, trust us, by the end of this episode, you'll be able to write your very own Zhihu post on Zhihu the company. Before we do get started, though, we recommend that you listen to TechBuzz episode 39, the one we did on podcasting in China, if you haven't already. Heck, you might want to go back and re-listen to it even if you have, because the pay for knowledge or zhishifufei space in China is a beast of a topic. And it's a really good background to what we're going to talk about on this episode. All right, then. Let's get to it. The president's key economic team goes to China. Uh, after a whole night banking, I say I still want to do it. Hi, everyone. We're Tech Buzz China by Pandaily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network on SubChina. We are a bi-weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage, so you can be smarter about the world of China tech. Tech Buzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Ray Ma. And I'm your other co-host, Yingying Lu. We'd like to acknowledge our partners, Deal Street Asia and SubChina, the creator of the Seneca Podcast Network. In addition to TechBuzz, you can also find Seneca, which covers current affairs, Nui Voices, and Ta for Ta on Women, the business-oriented China Econ Talk, and the Caixin Seneca Business Brief from China's leading business magazine. If you were ever interested in visiting China and simply didn't know where to begin, Pan Daily is organizing a one-week immersion into China's tech scene from October the 13th to the 19th. Applications are available on pandaily.com, or you can email contact at pandaily.com for more information. Not to be confused with Pandaily's trip, here at TechBuzz, we're also going to be in Beijing and Shanghai the week of October 7th to 13th, 2019, right after Golden Week, for our inaugural invite-only TechBuzz China investor trip for public market investors. 
Finally, as always, if you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And to incentivize you to do so, we're going to enter everyone who writes us a review on iTunes into a drawing, and the winner shall receive a copy of Matt Sheehan's The Trans-Pacific Experiment for free. We'll do the drawing when we hit 100 ratings. So help us get there. Before we start, as promised, let's answer the question: What is Zhihu? Well, the words Zhihu mean "Do you know?" So, yep, you guessed it. Zhihu is a question and answer platform that is basically the Chinese version of Quora. It's also got some other services now, like columns and live streaming, but all of those arise out of its strength as a Q and A website, and that's what it continues to be known for mostly today. Zhihu CEO is the relatively low-key Zhou Yuan, a 39-year-old originally from Guizhou. Guizhou is one of the poorest provinces in China and not particularly known for industry, but widely acknowledged as having some of the best natural scenery in the country. Zhou Yuan went to school in Chengdu, home of pandas and spicy Sichuan food, and then on to a graduate degree in Nanjing. He first started as an engineer, but quickly changed careers to become a reporter before starting his own company in 2008, building a search advertising software company that ultimately failed. We mentioned these cities and his prior profession because, very typical of Chinese media, geographic stereotypes and career choices are used as explainers for companies' business models. And Zhou's time spent in three Chinese cities, all known for a laid-back lifestyle, has been blamed for his slowness to monetize Zhihu. His former career as a reporter, which is considered more artistic and less utilitarian than engineering, for example, has Also, been used as an excuse. Well, is it laziness or patience? It really depends on if you're a fan of his initial business strategy. You see, after launching Zhihu in 2010, it remained invite-only for two whole years, and it was another few years before it really started to get into advertising heavily. If you go back in time to 2015 or so. People were actually wondering why Zhihu could be so patient, and how it was even surviving. Officially, it didn't roll out much in the way of monetization, by the way, until 2017. Probably that was at least in part due to the fact that it hadn't raised that much money yet. I mean, while Zhihu has now raised a staggering 889 million dollars so far across seven rounds, 80 percent of that was raised in the last two years. Actually, fifty percent of that in this most recent round alone. No massive fundraising, no massive pressure to monetize. Right, and I'm not really sure they had a choice. I mean, if you look at Cora, which was founded in 2009, a full year before Zhihu, that company didn't start advertising until 2016. So, also roughly a seven-year lag. It's definitely a tricky thing. When all the content creators are contributing for free, it's really difficult to add advertising in an organic way. That's one of the issues Zhihu has been heavily criticized for. Why don't we start there? Ah,、uh, yes, advertising. As we all know, advertising works best when you have lots of traffic and lots of data on your users, so you can target them properly. Luckily for Zhihu, it has parts of both elements in its core Q and A product. 
So on traffic, as of January, Zhihu had 220 million users with over 130 million answers. I don't know exactly how they define users because Quest Mobile says Zhihu's MAU is only about 13 million, but maybe those are app users versus all visitors. Either way, if we use the 220 million number, that makes it pretty comparable to Quora, which has 300 million monthly active users, as well as Reddit, which is just a tad larger at 330 million. Very impressive, really, given that both Quora and Reddit are global businesses, whereas Zhihu is only in Chinese and presumably mostly used by people inside of mainland China. And Zhihu had plenty of competitors. Or we shouldn't use the past tense just yet because they still all exist. In the beginning, for example, there was Tianya. Yes, because before Q and A only platforms, online communities were mostly organized via BBS or bulletin boards, and that's where people asked their questions. Remember those forums? In the West, Reddit is still alive and well, and lots of other more verticalized communities, of course. But in China, for a long while, there was Tianya and Baidu Tiaba. Tianya was born in 1999 and claims over 130 million registered users. That wouldn't surprise me, but it also wouldn't surprise me if almost none of them use the service any longer. I mean, it's a little like Craigslist. It's simple to the point of embarrassing. Like a forgotten relic from the last century, which is, well, that's actually exactly what it is. After going public on the new third board a few years back, Tianya delisted earlier this year due to deteriorating financial conditions. But it still sees a little bit of action. For a blast from the past, feel free to check out tianya. dot cn. Baidu Tiaba isn't really all that much better. Launched in 2003, two years before Reddit, the two are pretty similar. Like Reddit, it has an internal system that allows more active members to moderate and grow their communities, meaning that it's not just purely upvote based. Theoretically, anyway, Baidu ended up selling moderator rights to try to monetize the user-generated content, but it had to backtrack on that when it was attracting too much spam. And how big was this business? Well, even back in 2016, it already had over a billion registered accounts and over 20 million discussion boards. It even reached its six billionth post earlier this year. But that's not a good indicator of its quality because it's always been, frankly speaking, quite spammy. Frankly, I don't know how people can stand to use it. It also most definitely has a reputation as the dialsu or loser hangout, but hey, as you learned from our earlier episode on live streaming way back when, it is dialsu who make the world of Chinese internet go round. Besides Tiaba, Baidu also has a product called Zhidao, which means to know. That was launched two years after Tiaba and is a Q and A platform much more similar to Zhihu. It's also got half a billion answers. More than three times that of Zhihu's total, but you'll find that most of the questions are pretty basic, and the answers also like, not really worth your time to read. I mean, that is the reason why Zhihu took so long to open up its platform to the general public and spent its first two years as invite only. Baidu's products were launched five and seven years before Zhihu, so they could really see the consequences of having a free-for-all environment. It's not great. 
Zhihu, at least in the beginning, really created an atmosphere where to be part of the community meant that you had to be thoughtful both in what you asked and in how you answered. That's definitely how I remember it. But anyway, the failure of Tiaba and Zhidao easily explained Baidu's participation in the latest round. I mean, it's been getting creamed in advertising by ByteDance, and its user-generated content platforms, as we've just explained, have basically become cesspools for spammers. So Zhihu is one investment it cannot afford to miss out on, especially now with Kuaishou also backing it. A little aside on that. Most of you probably remember that Kuai Shou, who has been head-to-head with Douyin, aka TikTok, in China in the past few years, is backed by Tencent. So that means both Kuai Shou and Zhihu are Team Tencent, since Tencent led Zhihu's Series C a few years back. While many years ago, a startup would have had to pick between going with Tencent or Baidu and not both, nowadays Baidu is simply no longer that threatening, I suppose. But the fact still remains that it'd be nearly impossible to get Tencent and Alibaba on the same cap table. You know what I think is really interesting about this deal? It's how much of the four hundred thirty-four million dollars raise was filled by strategic versus financial investors. Actually, pretty much all strategic, it seems, except for that one investor, Capital Today. Now, this doesn't really happen in the West Hall that much. Except maybe in autonomous driving sometimes, but in China it's not so rare because pretty much by now every internet company in China with a few hundred employees or more has a strategic investment arm, and many of these arms are quite active. That's because everyone has seen what Alibaba and Tencent have been able to do by investing smartly, and that's just very different from here in the U.S., where it's still primarily a financial investor's playground. So we now know about Baidu and their old-school competitors to Zhihu, but that's not all, right? Because it was pretty evident early on that Zhihu was going to be a superior experience. No one else tried to win at that game. All the players we mentioned have hundreds of millions of users, so it's clearly a customer pain point. Of course, people were trying to find ways to win against Zhihu. Whatever its difficulties monetizing, its traffic was still significant. And I think we should probably take a moment here to talk about one of the more interesting stories in this sector that I think single-handedly actually made quote-unquote content platforms such as Zhihu really sexy again, and that is the story of Funda. We didn't talk about Funda in the episode on podcasting and pay for knowledge, Zhishu Fufei, because most of that episode was focused on why podcasting and pay for knowledge were not the same. But today. We definitely have to talk about it because, like you said, not only did it pave the way for the current craze around content startups, it was also one of the first batch of instances we're aware of where a Silicon Valley entrepreneur openly admitted that he found inspiration in the innovative design of a Chinese company. Funda, which literally means "minute answer" in Chinese, allowed people to ask questions and pay for an answer, delivered in the form of a 60-second audio clip. It first existed as a WeChat app, and was incubated out of Zaihang, a one-on-one expert matching platform that was itself a part of tech media company Guoke. 
expert platforms are a dime a dozen, so we won't bother explaining those. But Funda's key insight was that hearing a voice really made the answer feel very personal and authentic, much more so than text, and that limiting it to 60 seconds meant that the barrier of production and the cost of sharing were both very low. If done well, virality would come easily. And so that's what it did. Funda went and convinced a bunch of celebrities Including Wang Sichong, that guy you remember that we've mentioned in multiple episodes so far, you know China's most eligible bachelor. He figures prominently if you remember in gaming live streaming. Anyway, he's definitely a da V, aka influencer. So Funda had him come and answer some questions on the product, and then they also asked him to post his answers on his Weibo, where he has millions upon millions of followers. While the question asker has to pay the full amount, usually five to seventy dollars, but as much as a few hundred dollars to the respondent who sets their own price, others are allowed to eavesdrop on the Q and A by paying just one RMB or fifteen cents or so to unlock it. With each instance of eavesdropping netting the asker as well as the answerer fifty percent of the proceeds each, so a bit more than a nickel. Not a lot, but it could add up. If you ask something that was a burning question for many, like the most popular eavesdrop question at one point was, "Hey, Wang Sichong, as the son of the richest man in Asia, what is something you cannot afford?" Well, that question—if you had asked it—you would have stood to make a good chunk of change from it. You see, what Fendat did here, though, they took the Chihu playbook of seeding their platform with top influencers, utilized existing social networks such as Weibo and WeChat for distribution, and within 42 days of launch, netted 10 million users, of which 1 million collectively paid 2.5 million dollars for answers to all their burning questions. 1 million transacting users in less than a month and a half. Even for China, that's pretty record-setting. No wonder that it immediately raised money at a 100 million dollar valuation, and no wonder Juhu and quite a few other companies started to make similar products. Those were also popular for a while, but you know what? Funda still stole the show this round. But then it got shut down. Due to some unknown censorship reasons, it's been rumored, or if you go by the official stance, information safety and technical reasons. When it restarted, whatever momentum it had was lost, and it never fully recovered. Today, it's been folded back to the expert network Zaihang model. But its success really sparked the imagination of both Chinese entrepreneurs and investors around how to get people to pay for content, and it opened the door for many of these startups to get funded. And one of the companies who has made a serious attempt is someone we've talked about a lot in our episodes. Here is a hint. This last round of over four hundred million dollars was led by Kuaishou, right? Kuaishou, for the most part, is just short video. No, why spend hundreds of millions of dollars to have a stake in a primarily text and voice-based platform? Great hint. Basically, one word: ByteDance. Kuaishou and ByteDance are now embroiled in this war to the death, which we'll cover on another episode. ByteDance has been experimenting in this space for a while, and Kuaishou is obviously not going to just give it away. Right. ByteDance's Q and A app was initially called Toutiao Wenda, and launched in 2016. A year later, 
they changed its name to Wukong Wenda and relaunched it with great fanfare. Like Zhihu and Finda had done, it was focused on getting influencers onboarded quickly and then using them to drive traffic. But unlike Zhihu, it was very impatient about doing that. So instead of building community, ByteDance's strategy was to just buy it. In 2017, ByteDance Wukong paid at least 300 of Zhihu's influencers to migrate to their platform. Some of them were asked to sign exclusivity agreements, meaning no redistributing answers on Zhihu. Does that sound familiar? Around the same time, if you'll remember, gaming live streaming companies were also throwing money at esports casters and making them sign exclusive contracts. We covered that in episode 43. Well, it's the same concept, except a lot less profitable. And these influencers were only getting paid what was something like a hundred dollars per post. And oh, the post did need to exceed 500 words and have a minimum number of page views to qualify. So a top poster could make something like $18,000 a year, which is a very respectable white-collar salary in China, but nothing like what we saw in esports. In the beginning, ByteDance seemed to double down on this strategy. In fact, in 2018, it was leaked that ByteDance was planning to pay about $70 million to sign roughly 5,000 experts. And that's not including the other $70 million it was going to use in hongbaos or red packets to incentivize answers. But things didn't go according to plan. Whether it's because the short video business just became much more profitable and all-consuming, or Q&A just wasn't really the golden goose they were looking for, ByteDance drastically reduced payouts to content creators. And by the end of 2018, they had pretty much given up on the project. Now... Why did that happen? There are a few theories. One is that ByteDance's Wukong was just too lowbrow. While Zhihu is no longer as elitist as it was initially, a good portion of the questions on there remain things that you still need to be somewhat educated or experienced or at least thoughtful to answer. Wukong, on the other hand, was true to its ByteDance roots and for the masses. Yes, we do know that the common perception and Somewhat backed by data, is that ByteDance is more urban than Kuaishou, but Zhihu, for a long time, was the place on the internet where the highest concentration of intellectually minded Chinese people could be found. So it was definitely the most elite place. And ByteDance, by not having that audience, is presumed to have started with a lot of lower quality content, and this content couldn't keep users very engaged. Another reason was its algorithm. Wukong apparently had a different system that wasn't upvote based, but also personalized algorithmically, like everything else that's done by ByteDance. This resulted in a lot of the same type of content being surfaced, which quickly bored users. I think we should stop here and discuss that in a slightly greater detail, because this is a major point of contention when people talk about ByteDance. Now, ByteDance really prides itself on its algorithms, but in the case of Q and A, there are complaints about how such a method could have ruined the user experience. It's certainly controversial. Many users feel that the algorithmic-driven recommendation of topics that's become a bigger and bigger part of Zhihu has flattened their experience. 
Instead of getting exposed to a wide variety of topics, the algorithm narrows their interest further and further so that it becomes nothing but topic X, for example. I could see that happening. I definitely thought that was happening to me on Toutiao, which is why I stopped using it. Zhou Yuan calls the ByteDance algorithm highly centralized in what it recommends. He claims that Kuaishou's method is much more quote-unquote decentralized and therefore a better fit for Zhihu because both Zhihu and Kuaishou, according to him, try to flatten out the head of the curve a little bit more so that more creators could get their content be seen instead of the top 10%, let's say on ByteDance, getting something like 90% of the traffic. It's not that Kuaishou or Zhihu don't use algorithms for their content. Of course they do. What they're claiming is that there is a fundamental difference in how the management of these three companies think about how to build a sustainable and engaged community. And there is some evidence that Zhihu does what it claims. Right. A data-driven analysis a few months ago showed that of all the posts in the first half of this year that received more than a thousand upvotes on Zhihu, only 19% were written by super influencers. That's people with more than 200,000 fans on Zhihu. And almost half were written by what we would call micro-influencers, people with about 10,000-ish followers. And over a third were actually by regular users. That's not the distribution you would see on a platform that's more follower-based, for example, because on those types of platforms, the super-influencers tend to get the vast majority of traffic, and it's not quite so evenly dispersed. And Zhihu is able to do this because while you can accumulate followers on Zhihu, they're really not all that useful. Your influence is really measured by your contribution to a specific area, like the knows about section in someone's Quora profile. You really enjoy a boost when you're answering questions within your area of expertise. And the argument goes that if Zhihu can continue inspiring all of its users to post quality content, regardless of whether or not they're individually very popular on the greater platform, then it will be able to sustain the content advantage it currently has over other platforms. Right. We should focus on the quality of the content and reward that disproportionately, as opposed to the generic social status or popularity of the poster. That's a more meritocratic and sustainable way of doing things, not paying influencers for their posts. So it's no wonder that in the end, the overlap between the user bases of Wuko and Zhihu was actually quite minimal. Well less than 1% of Zhihu users were also on Wukong. Now, before you think that Zhihu has solved everything perfectly, let us assure you that is far from the case. Remember all that patient slowness we talked about Zhou Yuan and his team having at the beginning of this episode? Well, maybe because competition was flooding in, or investors were starting to pressure them, but Zhihu really made a concerted effort to monetize starting a few years ago, and it's been met with a lot of criticism. For one, because they chose first to try an advertising model, they had to broaden the user base. That meant a decision to allow for corporations and other entities to have accounts and answer questions as well. So obviously, that provides some skewed views. Beyond that, though, the push to generate more page views has also led to a degradation of quality in both questions and answers. A high-quality question that Zhuhu was previously known for might be something like, 
What's a habit you've developed that has increased your happiness level in the long term? Is now, according to many users, much rarer to find. Instead, the platform is filled with questions the equivalent of, "What's the latest behind the feud between Kanye and Taylor?" Effectively, they're leveraging trending topics, or sometimes they're simply nonsensical ones. Like, I saw this one on a screenshot where the top suggested question for a user was, "Is a cat a solid or a liquid?" <laughs> Makes no sense. And by the way, if you click through on questions like that, especially if you're doing so on your mobile, you may have to scroll through several ads before you see the first relevant answer. Or you might be served some really irrelevant and tasteless, or even misleading ads, such as the fake medical ones that have gotten Baidu and Baidance in trouble. Now, definitely go back and listen to our episode 18 on that if you're not sure what we're talking about. But I'm not sure that it's going to get better. For one, Juhu's user base is only going to get broader and more mainstream, not narrower and more elite. I mean, after all, it's Kuaisho who led this last round. To refresh your memory, Kuaisho is known in China as the home of Diaosu. That's Chinese for losers, or a not so polite way of describing the less educated, less well-off. Tier two, three, or even lower cities, and other such populations in China. In fact, Juhu posters regularly make fun of Kuaishou users. But if you've been listening to Tech Buzz, you would also know that one of the biggest trends in Chinese internet has been selfie sachin, or consumption trickle down, meaning that products and services are extending to lower and lower tiered cities and income brackets. Juhu, if it ever wants to be a truly massive platform, will need to go out of the hardcore knowledge sharing space and become more mainstream, more entertaining, and yes, even less intellectual. But to capture that market, who better to partner with than Kuaisho, who's built its business on exactly those characteristics? So, looking forward a few years, will Juhu just become a tech-based Kuaisho? It's possible. And maybe it's already trending that way, but who can blame them? At a 3.5 billion dollar valuation, as I like to emphasize, where else can they go but away from the cities and into the countryside? I mean, the letter to employees from Zhou Yuan announcing the deal is very telling. When Zhihu first started, its mission was to aggregate everyone's knowledge for everyone to use. More recently, that's changed to. Let everyone find a highly credible answer to their question. But in the letter, Joe explains that Kuaisho and others have uncovered a new possibility for the internet, which is the fact that everyone's life is worthy of recording and sharing, no matter how ordinary. Right. He then urged his employees to keep an open mind and to pay more attention to the outside world, and do whatever it takes to create greater value to their users. I don't know about you, but. That sounds like to me that more change is definitely coming. Juhu has been successful turning some of its more studious users into paying users, based on its live streaming and live conferencing product. But can that really sustain its 3.5 billion dollar valuation? I'm not so sure. Actually, that live streaming product is pretty interesting, but we'll have to talk about it another time, as we've gone on for long enough about this company.
So let's summarize what we've learned today. You go first, Ray. Well, we learned today that nine-year-old question and answer website Jihu received its largest round of funding ever, $434 million, led by Kuaishou and Baidu, with follow-on investment from existing investor Tencent and Capital Today. Kuaishou, China's other big short video app company besides ByteDance, supposedly has been long enamored with Jihu. One of the reasons is probably Jihu's relatively elite profile of users. Something like 90% are under age 30, and 70% live in first and second tier cities. And oh yeah, two-thirds are men. But this is a very desirable segment to advertise to, and it's also highly complementary with the diaosi, or less urban and less educated population that Kuaishou commands. For Jihu to grow, it's got to go beyond the urban elite and into the countryside. This is the same trend that's driven a major part of the growth in Chinese internet in the last few years. So the partnership does make sense from a business level. It may not make sense from a user experience level, because we've already seen examples from the other major investor in this round, Baidu, on how when you're not being very selective with content and try to grow too quickly and monetize too quickly and prioritize user quantity over quality, well, that strategy can really backfire. Baidu had a much bigger head start in the Q&A and online forum space with its Zhidao and Tieba products, but it couldn't improve the user experience in time, and by most reports, has pretty much lost that battle. But both Baidu and Kuaishou are probably eager to partner with Zhihu in order to fend against ByteDance, whose efforts in this space have been substantial, but also unsuccessful. One of the reasons given for their failure is their impatience. We talked today about how they just tried to buy influencers and users with cash instead of trying to grow the community more organically. Another reason that's been posited is that its algorithms are more suited for star making than for knowledge sharing, which is more of a long tail activity. It's probably a lot more complicated than that, so we won't try to guess which is the correct answer here. Whatever it is, the user-generated text and voice content space, including both online Q&A and online forums, still seems to have a long way to go. Tencent is certainly bullish on it. Not only has it participated in Jihu's every round since Series C, it's also invested earlier this year $150 million into Reddit at a $3 billion valuation. What do you think? Was this a great investment on the part of Kuaishou? Do you think this will be a happy union? Is Kuaishou Zhihu's prince charming? And are they going to beat or at least make a big dent in ByteDance in this game? Let us know. All right, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, our next episode will be out in two Fridays. We really enjoyed putting this together, and we're always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at ThePanDaily, at TechBuzzChina, and my personal Twitter account is spelled G-I-N-Y, G-I-N-Y. And my Twitter is spelled R-U-I-M-A. TechBuzzChina by PanDaily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network by SubChina. PanDaily.com is an English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Sha Wan and Kaiser Guo. Our intern is Wang Menglu. Thank you for listening.